You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. When Arizona lifted its stay-at-home order on May 15th, most assumed the state had successfully moved past the most serious health risks posed by the pandemic. But total cases there have skyrocketed since then, and Arizona is now rolling back much of its initial reopening plans. In this episode, Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego, who has been critical of Arizona being one of the last states to have a stay-at-home order and one of the first states to rescind it, shares why she believes her state's battle against the coronavirus is nowhere near over. Let's listen. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. Phoenix Mayor Kate Gallego is making headlines for her criticism of how Arizona's governor and the federal government have responded to the coronavirus pandemic. Her city and surrounding county have seen a surge in new cases, but not in testing. Last Sunday on This Week with George Stephanopoulos, she said it, quotes, feels like they're declaring victory while we're in crisis mode. We're gonna talk about all of that right now with Mayor Gallego, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So, so Mayor Gallego, there's a lot to talk about. I mean, you've made multiple requests to FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency for help in COVID-19 testing sites, all of which had been turned down. Um, it was reported that FEMA said it was, quote, getting out of the testing business but then a funny thing happened after your appearance on This Week with George Stephanopoulos on Sunday. You actually heard from the White House? Yes, Sunday morning, the White House reached out. They said they wanted to work with us and help. The next day, I had a meeting with the Admiral in charge of testing for the United States, who also said they were watching what was happening in Phoenix. And now there's a, a new story from, from Business Insider, and I might be getting all these stories mixed up because you've had a lot of action, have heard a lot of things about testing going on uh, in, in your city. Now there's um, a testing site in West Phoenix that you found out about via tweet? Yes, our governor announced that he was going to be working with the federal government to put a testing site in West Phoenix. That is our area of greatest need and one I've been trying to drive attention to. So I'm thrilled that they're coming and I'll keep tuned on Twitter to find out more. As, as a mayor, does it enrage you that you have to find out about these things via tweet and not through, through conversation with peers in the federal government? The whole communication with the federal government has been very eye-opening and interesting. When we have conversations in via Zoom, where it's a small group, it's very positive. And then you see the White House briefing and the folks in charge of testing for the country are criticizing me by name, saying I'm being unfair to them. I'm happy, as long as we get testing, we can have whatever politics people feel good about, but there's no question today in Phoenix, people are in line as we speak and have been told they will need to be there for five to seven hours. Right. I was just about to ask you about that. That was a story that just hit just before we came on that the wait in, if I remember you saying South Phoenix at the South Phoenix testing site, the wait is five to seven hours, which to my mind makes me wonder, for those people sitting in line for that long, is there a danger that after sitting in line for that long, they don't get a test because they've run out of tests? It has happened over and over. 
And I just wish the federal government would see and know what it's like. It may be easy to talk about blocks and blocks of cars in line, but when you go there and you see the people waiting in line, they're individual people with families. There's one image that I can't get out of my head. I watched a man whose car had run out of gasoline on a very busy city street, pouring gasoline into his car while he was gasping for air. And just to look at that and not to want to do better is mind boggling to me. And Mayor, given that story you just told, it makes me think of what Vice President Pence said, I believe it was yesterday or within the last couple of days about how, I, I guess he said that, you know, they're bending the curve back down on, on coronavirus infections. Is that what you're seeing from your vantage point? We were growing at exponential rates in Arizona, so the growth rate was really astounding. We are still seeing new cases all the time, and to say that bending it a little bit lower is success doesn't feel that way to the people in our community who are still waiting more than a week for a test. Our doctors and nurses tell me that they are exhausted and treating so many more patients than they were just a few weeks ago. After Memorial Day in particular, we saw such a scary increase in the number of COVID-19 diagnoses. We are all holding our breath and worried about what the response to the July 4th holiday weekend, will we see that incredible surge again? So Mayor, I forgot to mention that those people waiting in line five to seven hours are also waiting in line where the temperatures are between between 115 and 117 degrees. So folks are battling two things at once. You sit there and watch your gas gauge go down. A year ago, if you were packing multiple meals and a gallon of water and, and filling up gas over the 4th of July weekend, you were going on vacation. Now that's how you prepare to get a coronavirus test in Phoenix. You are sick. No one who feels just mediocre is probably going to wait as long as people have been waiting in my community. These are people who believe they have coronavirus and are quite worried about it. You hear stories in the community, people don't know how to make appropriate decisions. I heard one story of a mom who just brought home a baby from the hospital, a newborn, and she was feeling some respiratory symptoms, but she didn't wanna leave her newborn baby unless she knew she really had the virus. She was just struggling to get the right information to make a heartbreaking decision. So let's talk more about uh, the, the pandemic in Arizona. It seems as though the, Arizona has lost control of its response or, or, or control of the pandemic. On Tuesday, Arizona hit a record with 117 deaths from COVID-19, a new single day high for, this, for the state Maricopa County, which includes Phoenix, is recording as many as 2,000 new cases per day, which eclipses even New York City on its worst day. You were just talking a moment ago about spikes in cases after, after the 4th of July. What is driving that? Is it people not social distancing? Is it reopening too early? What is it? Arizona was one of the last states to go to a stay at a home order and one of the first to emerge. When we, when the governor decided to lift the stay at home order, we saw a lot of uses that the Centers for Disease Control didn't recommend in the early phases of reopening. 
So CDC does not recommend crowded nightclubs until the final phase of reopening, but we had them right away in Phoenix. We had nightclubs that were handing out free champagne to celebrate. Public health officials tell me that nightclubs are one of the most dangerous environment. People are very unlikely to be wearing a mask while they're drinking. They're also loud music, and so people might be raising their voices and you might have increased droplet spread because of that. Uh, we've had many younger Arizonans who've been featured on the news talking about how it, it just felt like a celebration and a party and it didn't feel like they needed to be careful. We've had now the majority of our new cases come from younger Arizonans. I think there was a message we we defeated COVID and you could go back to life as normal, which I understand it is it is not fun to be at stay at home. I'm a mother of a three-year-old and this morning we were having a debate about how hangers are not toys and uh, we've been mm -hmm. painting rock. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a struggle for everyone, but I think the way Arizona reopened really contributed to people going back to behaviors that are no longer safe. And, and also there was this impression that it was only something that impacted people over 65 COVID-19. It is mm -hmm. true that the majority of our fatalities are older adults, but if you are a young person hospitalized for a week, that's not success. Yeah, and and to that point, I, I believe more than sixty percent of the of these new cases you're talking about are people under the age of forty four. Mayor Gallego, can we talk about your your relationship with Governor Ducey? Um, you've, I believe, you've said that you've criticized him, saying he closed closed the state too late and reopened the state too soon. In hindsight, being 2020, what do you believe you knew that he didn't know in making these difficult decisions? I've tried to really talk regularly with public health officials. I want to lead with data and understand what scientists and public health officials are saying is important. I think it's also about different values. I am very concerned about the lives of my residents. My parents' lives are not optional. My grandfather's life is not optional. I put a very high value on saving lives, and I understand that there are elected officials that make a different calculus and put economic vitality at the top of their list. I would argue that they are not separable, that communities that took the virus seriously have recovered more economically than those that did not. And so we can care about people's livelihoods and their lives. But it's it's just been heartbreaking to see those people in my community waiting for a test or our medical professionals exhausted. I am nervous about what's to come. You know, in May, the governor issued a, a rule that said that cities in Arizona had to abide by state guidelines, but been, but by June, reversed course, mid-June, allowing cities to impose their own, their own face mask requirements, for instance. Why do you think he made that change? I joined with several mayors in asking him to allow local governments to require face masks. In looking at data from communities that had implemented a face mask requirement, it slows the spread. It is a great public health tool and one that is much easier than many of the other options we have. The governor told me that my request did 
factor into his decision to allow local governments to take this step. I want the tools to protect the people of Phoenix and I think a face mask, while uncomfortable in our heat, can save lives and that's so worthwhile in my book. You know, we've seen videos coming in from around the country of people defying defying face mask, wearing a face mask, being asked to wear a face mask. In in Phoenix, what's been the reception? Are people abiding by by the rule? The day after we implemented the face mask program, people were texting me pictures of grocery stores where they were shopping and everyone was in a mask that was very different than it had been before we put in place the masking requirement. We've had stores that have been happy to put intercom messages reminding people about the value of face masks. So the overwhelming majority of people in the community have embraced it, but there's certainly been a hot political debate. We had a council meeting where we voted to implement the face mask requirement, and we had some amazing public comments at that. Um, <laughs> You should see my email. It is fascinating, some of the responses. And uh, apparently people have now started posting face mask people wear porn videos where people are wearing face masks, although uh, my staff is amazing and have been quick to delete it. Um, but apparently the face <laughs> mask the porn industry has now adopted some face masks. I, I don't think they were sending it to me as a compliment of, of my good decision making, though. There's been a lot of... <laughs> On, uh, on that and frustration, um, our neighboring city of Scottsdale had a very prominent rally against face masks where an elected official took one off and said, I can't breathe. Oh, right. That's right. Tragically, well, the, George the, Floyd. Right. The, the council meeting that you're talking about was on June 19th. And I think the timing is interesting because on June 23rd, President Trump came to town um, held a rally, decidedly did not wear a face mask. Uh, so a bunch of folks, a lot of folks who were there at the rally also didn't wear a face mask. What does it, what signal do you believe it sends that the president of the United States refuses to wear a face mask, at least publicly? I'm concerned that it adds a political element to what should be a public health debate. He sends a signal that he's not taking this seriously and that it's not mandatory. The president of the United States has access to the best public health information available. And for him to decide to not wear a, a mask gives anyone who's uncomfortable and doesn't want to or for other reasons would like to pass on a face mask an excuse to not wear it. So to me, it is a poor decision. At the local level, it has not been as political. Many Republican mayors in the greater Phoenix area have implemented face mask programs. Our County Board of Supervisors, which is the public health agency for my community, is supermajority Republican and they voted unanimously to require face masks. So I do feel like at the local level, it has not been a partisan issue, but we do hear from people who say one of the reasons they are declining to wear a face mask is to show support for the president. Mayor Gallego, we have a, a question from, um, from the audience, and this comes from Vicki Anglin from Virginia, and she asks, autonomy cuts two ways. In the lack of unified federal leadership on COVID-19, in which ways has your job been made easier 
and more difficult? I would love to see strong leadership from the federal government on face masks, on unified national strategy for deployment of resources. We struggle in this community with everything from access to reagents to perform the tests, to medical personnel to as well implement the tests. And it would be nice to have a more robust national strategy. Um, I've learned my lesson and I do wanna say their federal government is involved. It's just not sufficient right now. Um, I think there's certainly some ability with local control to adapt to very different weather tech uh, situations. So for example, Phoenix right now is, is quite hot and we have different requirements to that. We are primarily spending time inside this time of year while as much of the country is outdoors. And so that may contribute to different, but generally I would love to see more national support and a more unified message at every level from all elected officials. So it sounds like what you what you would really like to see is a national strategy. We need a more robust investment from our federal government. I have been asking for months and months for a federal FEMA surge testing. Uh, early on when I requested it, we got the response that there weren't enough cases in Arizona to justify it, and that's why they were going to other communities before us. But now we literally have the highest positive test rate in the country and, and so much need here. And, and so it, it, it was frustrating for me to see the federal government announce Baton Rouge and Texas and Florida before they announced Phoenix, but now I'm thrilled that they will be coming to my city. We, we need that partnership. My first federal emergency was when I was a city council member and we had a lot of flooding in Phoenix. And what they told us at the time, we, we got a federal emergency declaration and they said, when communities have stresses that go beyond local resources, we come in and partner. That is very much what it feels like on the ground right now. We are stretched beyond our local capacity and, and need that partnership. In this country, New York had an apex before we did in Phoenix. And so it does seem like the federal government can help distribute resources where they are needed because we are not all hitting our apex at exactly the same time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about, about capacity? Um, in the hospitals during this surge. How confident are you that Phoenix has enough beds to handle the current situation? Are you seeing an increase in hospitalizations, especially since the July 4th holiday? So for anyone in Phoenix who is listening, if you are feeling symptoms of a stroke or a heart attack, I encourage you to seek medical care. It is available. But if you look at the statistics about ICU beds in our community and, and capacity, um, we've already hit levels above 90% ICU bed usage. We don't know what we will see as a result of the July 4th holiday, but I can tell you our hospital system are trying to bring in nurses from other communities. They are doing surge planning. There's been heartbreaking stories of individuals, uh, one, a man was matched with a transplant for a kidney, but because of the lack of bed capacity, he was not able to get that very important surgery. 
So what the hospitals will say is they're only doing essential services, but I can tell you the man who was hoping to get a kidney transplant felt that that was very essential to him. I have a lot of coworkers from my time before I ran for office who have been diagnosed with cancer. Some of them have been unable to have the procedures to treat their cancer. So while we do have some resources left, it, it's a scary situation out here and we are very nervous. We were talking a moment ago about the need for a national, a national strategy in, in addressing the coronavirus pandemic. One area where President Trump now seems to be focused on in terms of a national strategy is reopening the schools. Can we talk about that for, for a moment? The governor has said, Governor Ducey has said Arizona was going to push back the opening, the opening day for schools and that the target day for opening schools will be based on COVID-19 trends. When do you see Phoenix schools opening? We are seeing such a dangerous level of COVID-19 in the community that I'm very concerned about making the right decision. We should lead with public health. I don't want to put our teachers who are such heroes of this community in any type of danger. I don't think we have all the data that I would like to see on what levels of transmission occur through young people. Certainly with the seasonal flu, you see a lot of transmission linked to schools. I My, my child is not yet old enough for school. He's still three, but he was in daycare until March and, and now he's been at home. Uh, for the first seven weeks, we didn't see my parents. And so I was trying to be mom and, and mayor. And I understand it is good for his development to be with other young people. And, you know, it's also as a parent, you're, you're trying to do your job and still educate your child. So it's very difficult. But from my perspective, we have to lead with public health here. I'm concerned that some federal elected officials are too rushed to reopen schools and are not putting public health first. Now you, you, mentioned, you mentioned your three-year-old was, was in daycare and has basically been home for weeks, if not months now. Is your, is your three-year-old wondering, even asking, why am I seeing you all the time? So he's very happy and my dog is very happy that the dog walks have now become a highlights of the day, which uh, the dog has always felt was the appropriate uh, decision. Uh, it's funny, we are now spending time with, with grandparents and I'm so grateful for their help as I try to, to do mom and mayor simultaneously. But my son's starting to talk like my mother. Uh, yesterday he was like, your water class is too close to the edge of the table. And that's, that's a mother has been telling me for decades. And, and so now I'm getting it from, from both sides. And when my son, who's three, is, is talking like my mother, I, I understand. We, we got to get him around some more, some more three-year-olds. <laughs> it, is, it is good to have a reason to laugh um, in a time of such stress. And, and such sorrow for, for a lot of people. Madam Mayor, there, there's another question I wanna um, bring to you from a fellow Arizonan, James Schenk. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing his name right. How can Phoenix help rural Arizona towns of less than 10,000 residents? That is a great question. And one of the, the great things that has come out of 
COVID-19, there are some silver linings, is that I feel so much closer to the other Arizona mayors. Uh, we talk much more regularly and are trying to have shared messages. For example, we're all working together to encourage Congress to provide additional resources to cities because cities are going to help to help lead this economic recovery. Uh, several mayors have asked me, can we help spread a message that our smaller towns do not have the same health care system even as Phoenix does? And so rural health systems are very, very stretched. Uh, in Arizona, our northern part of the state has much cooler weather and forested areas, which are very attractive right now during the summer for vacation. But we're trying to spread the message that staying home is the best way to get through this, even though a vacation is very, very promising right now, but rural health systems just don't have the capacity for a significant increase in COVID-19 patients. Uh, we also are trying to use Phoenix's resources to tell some of the stories about what's happening in rural Arizona. So once it becomes safe to do so, we're hoping that at Sky Harbor Airport, which is Phoenix's airport, we'll be broadcasting messages about the great tourism attractions in Arizona. Uh, we've spoken with the Navajo Nation, which is partially located in Arizona and very hard hit by COVID-19 about whether we couldn't help them, again, when it is safe to do so, promote the wonderful, beautiful landscapes of the Navajo Nation, their great food and, and tourism sites so that perhaps more Arizonans can visit our smaller communities and, and help them with critical economic development. Because we, we do have scary times ahead for budgets at every level of government. Um, Local governments in Arizona are quite dependent on sales tax and people who aren't working aren't shopping at the same rates. So just when our communities need us most and need more services, we have more limited resources. Madam Mayor, you just mentioned a moment ago that one of the things you are happy about is that you've been in touch with other mayors. What's interesting is Many larger U.S. cities are now run by women mayors, including Tucson and, and Flagstaff, also Atlanta, San Francisco, Washington, D.C., of course. Do you ever consult with your fellow mayors? My fellow mayors have been wonderful resources for me. London Breed, who's the mayor of San Francisco, has been such a leader in responding to COVID-19. When we were setting up hotels so that people experiencing in homelessness experiencing homelessness in Phoenix would have a safe place to go. She talked to me about all of the things they had learned because San Francisco, I believe, was the first to, to do that. And, and she just explained things like overnight staffing levels that helped me make sure that we adequately funded the programs and did a much better job. So it's been a great network who has helped me do a better job for my community. My Arizona mayors and I talk regularly. I, I will be speaking later today with the mayor of, of Tucson and Flagstaff. And we've shared stories about tough moments, but also advice about what's working in our community. So it really has brought mayors together. I'm proud nationally of the role mayors have played in COVID-19. I think mayors have been powerful voices for safer communities. And it's it's an honor to be part of that community. Uh, for my final question, let me ask you a, a baldly political question. You are a Democratic mayor 
in a state that was once considered a red state, but now Arizona, at least in the 2020 election, is viewed as a battleground state. In your mind, to your mind, what's changed in Arizona to make it so competitive and possibly give the Democrats an edge? It's been a incredible transition during the time that I've been in elected office. Last election cycle, we elected four Democratic women to statewide office, including U.S. Senator Kirsten Sinema. Uh, we've had much stronger urban communities now and, and a lot of growth in a you know, more vibrant downtowns and places like Phoenix. Uh, those voters have strongly supported our Democratic candidates, but we've also seen suburban women who care so much about education and the future of their children also supporting Democratic candidates. Right now, voters are very focused on health care and say that they are more likely to trust Democrats. So I think that if that continues to be the top issue as we head into the election cycle in November, that we will see a result. Mayor Kate Gallego of Phoenix, Arizona, thank you very much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Stay safe out there. Thanks, you too. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.